0: quarter to three movie podcast for the founder. Yeah, my name is Tom Chick. To discuss the founder, I've brought along two very special people. The first being Christian Murkowski. I'd like to be known as Dick Magic. Ew. (laughs) And with a founder tagline or two, maybe three, sometimes we even get four. I think the one, it was like five for one of the movies. We have Kelly Wand. That's some real dick magic right there. Damn it. Thing scooped me. Fuck. <laughs> well, I guess you're going to have to have a runner-up tagline, Kelly Wand. What do you got? It's like a Jack in the Box biopic, but with a different clown. <laughs> they both have okay. clowns. Isn't that weird? We didn't like see the didn't... clown in this. I mean, I well, we're going to talk about that. Give us another one, Kelly Wand. I'm going to make a note about that. Hold on. Make a note. Clown. Okay. Kelly Wand, what else you got? It's
1: like joy, but about a product that's inedible. <laughs> uh, Shut up, Kelly. What else you got? His
0: best since Magnolia.
2: Wow. Uh,
0: no, Kelly. Shut Wanda, up, Kelly. What? Kelly, One, these podcasts sometimes are self-contained, so you can't assume that some somebody maybe just rented the founder in twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen. Maybe they're like, "Hey, I'm going to listen to the podcast." They have no idea that you're riffing on a Resident Evil podcast two episodes ago.
1: Hmm. They don't need to know that, because if they – there's just supposed to be poster slogans, and if if you keep seeing that slogan on every movie after a while, you'll just finally go, wait a minute. All
0: right, all right. It's
1: like – it's for that one awakening moment like 12 weeks from now when they go, hey, this guy didn't make
0: Magnolia. Glenn Weissman? What? <laughs> Sometimes a running joke might have a little bit too long of a takeoff, a little bit too long – it might require a little bit too much runway.
2: Mm. Yeah, they don't come off of aircraft carriers.
0: You shave the whole thing. Kelly Wand, what else do you have for taglines? <laughs> that was it. That was it? Good. Okay. Well, Dingus, don't spoil The Founder. Don't say that there's no clowns in it yet. Uh job taken. Tell us a little bit about The Founder without spoiling it for the listeners. All right. Well, this week we saw The Founder,
2: mm-hmm. a 2016-17 American biographical history movie. About how it's better to have three, uh, I'm sorry, how it's better to have 36,615 mediocre restaurants rather than one great one. Hmm. It was directed by John Lee Hancock Ugh. and written by Robert D. Siegel.
1: Mm. Middleman,
2: right? Well, he's, he's writing as Robert Siegel, but his name is Robert D. Siegel. Uh, based on the autobiography of Ray Kroc and an unauthorized biography. Oh it's Yeah, you know, well who knows of the Wait, whom.
0: there's a he wrote an autobiography? That explains a lot. <laughs> Hold <laughs> that thought, Kelly Wand <laughs> uh-huh. I just had a little light bulb pop off of my head. Yeah, okay. Okay. Several things are now ma- making sense. Okay.
2: <laughs> yep. Uh it
0: stars Nick Offerman. Well, John, I'm Carol I'm, Lynch. What are you mm, what are you wailing about? I'm not Nick sure that was him. Oh. I didn't recognize him. Certainly didn't look like any Nick Offerman I've ever seen. Yeah. What about was, Elephant
1: ever. Man? You don't recognize him. So, he's a he's a good actor, my point. Too soon.
2: Too soon. Uh John Carroll Lynch. Uh Zodiac. My, Michael Keaton.
0: Uh uh, uh Edward <laughs> <laughs>
2: Annie Hall. Uh, it, it, this is Michael Keaton's best work since Magnolia. Um BJ Novak, Linda Cardellini, and Kate oh, yeah. Kate
0: Neeland. Uh, who was that?
2: Kate, Kate Nealand was the woman who played his uh, receptionist oh, the, slash bookkeeper.
0: Uh, um, who we find out later became like a stockholder or something like that. Right, right, okay. Right, right. So that was it. real interesting. Because why uh, did you see Laura Dern out? Because everybody did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're kind of like, it's very appropriate for this movie to not mention her. It's like her, her character. Just <laughs> stepped on.
2: Um, the founder is rated PG-13. Well Okay, let's Four. hear it. why, yeah. What brief strong language. When that's I what know. I have
1: to say to the MPAA. <laughs>
2: what? Maybe it was maybe it was still? Maybe it was beef strong language. I don't know, but all it said was brief strong language, that's all I'm saying.
0: They didn't even use their F bomb. There wasn't enough smoking. I don't know why this wasn't straight up PG. Sorry, twelve year olds.
2: I think there was some shit here and there. Oh, okay,
0: that might be right. Yeah. By the way, can you drop S bombs on on primetime TV? Dingus, like in in any of the shows your son's your son has been watching, like like The Office or Parks and Rec, they can't say S bombs in those, can they?
2: Uh, I know that they started doing that on some cable stations, uh, but I know that uh, one of the funny things about the opening the first episode, as far as I remember, of the Lethal Weapon adaptation was they. Act, they actively and obviously avoided saying it.
0: He said, I'm too old for this, and he got cut off. Right. I do, right, right. That, yeah, I That's Fox. That. Fox is a major network, and yeah, so they can't drop S-bombs. I'm no, that's but I think they, think they were do. doing it
2: on purpose, and I think it was funny.
1: With Die Hard, it would show
2: Yippee-Kai, and then something
1: blows up in right. Die Hard. Maybe.
2: Well, that was the last, the or the second to the last Die Hard, where the Yippee-Kai a mother, and then he shoots himself in the shoulder, and you can't hear it.
0: All right, so there's that, salty, some salty language in this movie. The parents yes. should know that. Kelly, yeah. is, there, is there anything else that parents should know about the founder if they're thinking of taking their children who are under 17 to see it? <laughs> to see it? Yeah. Uh, that sounds like a good family
1: outing. Uh, <laughs> I would have added, if I was an MPAA, unelected elected official, uh, excessive starch, um,
0: capitalism, and thematic elements. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, the founder is at 82% of the reviews being positive on Rotten Tomatoes. Metacritic, which is the average rating from various reviews, it's at 67 It's opening weekend. This is a relatively limited release. I kind of think uh... Mir- or wine the Wine It's the Weinstein company um used to say in Miramax I think they released it figuring you know this might get some some nominations for like Academy Awards you know maybe a best actor nom or something like that so they released it fairly limited it didn't quite crack the top 10 on its opening weekend uh it it made it to number 11 it got nudged out of the top 10 by the second week of uh Bye Bye Man the horror movie <laughs> i'm sure yeah. what yeah, it didn't make the top ten. Bye Bye Man was number ten, number ten on that on the opening weekend of The Founder. So if that hadn't been there, The Founder could have been you know number ten. Uh,
2: Bye Bye Man is the name of a movie. That's not just something you're saying.
0: Thing is, it's a horror movie. How can you not know about the Bye Bye Man?
2: Oh, the okay, now yeah. I understand with, with the yeah, article. Not, I know.
0: Right, right. Not Bye Bye Man, but the Bye Bye Man. He's like a boogeyman, and he. I think I don't I haven't seen it but I think I'm, you say bye-bye and he comes and he gets you or something like that. Oh. There's some teenagers uh, in it. They get killed. It's PG-13. What more do you need to know? He's like he's like Baba Yaga. Either Baba Duke. Yeah, it's like you just take baby talk and you make it sound ominous. There you go. Horror movie. Uh, it did however no no Academy Award nominations. It did however get three nominations uh the ARP American Association of Retired Persons, they put out uh, a magazine, and every year their magazine uh, nominates things for stuff like, oh, Best Buddy Picture, Best Time Capsule, that sort of thing. So the founder didn't win, but it was nominated for uh, Michael Keaton for Best Actor, uh, for Best Buddy Picture, and for Best Time Capsule. Didn't win any of those, but the ARP did recognize it. Buddy so, Picture? Well, Nick Offerman and John Carroll Lynch. Or whoever was standing in for Nick Offerman, some guy who sounded brothers or buddies. Yeah, Kelly Wand, you have a brother. You can be buddies with your siblings. No, we can't. (laughs) Well, don't expect any nominations from the AARP then. Sir, patch things up. (laughs) So, Kelly Wand, I want you to now spoil the founder for everyone. Oh god! With your foundropsis,
1: you just take the e out. <laughs> and then yep. Keep going. How close do they get? That's like fine. All right. I had trouble. I couldn't. We didn't do the fountain, though, right? Because I was thinking that would have had a similar. Like, fountains. Founces.
2: No, we did not do the fountain.
1: All right, so that's not a problem. Good. Glad we cleared that up. Uh, <clears throat> Michael Keaton looks at us and goes. You look smarter than most of the stiffs I talk to, which is exactly why you want to buy this Sir Mixalot Shake Asm Tron Legacy 9000. It can make up to a thousand milkshakes a second. Vanilla, whatever the other flavors are, you name it. it comes with a dead man switch in case you die. Talk about a win win. You can really taste the polishing oil for the copper screws in the final product. So, what do you say? Ready to join the future of dairy yet? The guy at the sperm bank he's talking to is all no <laughs> Next time if you're gonna demo something, use your own stock. God <laughs> Heaton's all Why you why yada? and he scowlingly drags his three ten kitchen mixer to the trunk of a Studebaker. While he's fumbling in his pockets for his keys, the mixer starts rolling off down the street. As he swears and starts to go after <laughs> it, the Studebaker starts rolling off downhill in the other direction. Some words are all. The foundopsis. Dingus sits, raises a fist, and eats a burger in it. Michael <laughs> Keaton <laughs> walks to a payphone and calls his secretary. Any messages for me? She's all Yeah, you did a TV spot for Mr. Mom in eighty three where you're working <laughs> Where you're making burger patties? Six stoners want to know if that's a crossover. <laughs> also, Glenn Close wants to do a prequel to the paper, but it's Sonny Bombulo. He's all who? She's all, oh, yeah, and the Zodiac Killer and Ron Swanson called from California. (laughs) Their last names in this are McDonald's? I guess they look related. They want to buy a 1,000 of the dumbass mixes. Oh, yeah, and the last one you sold malfunctioned and beheaded a family of six. The mom's online, too. He's all, what? McDonald's? Who in their right mind would buy a product I'm selling? Must be a mistake. I'll call him right now and talk him out of it, idiots. (laughs) Picks up the phone and goes, operator, give me California. After a couple seconds, he hears a phone ringing again. Ron Swanson picks up. Hello, this had better be important.
2: <laughs> 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 it's Ben Foster's dad.
0: Oh, my God. That's lovely, Kelly that, that was
2: awesome.
1: That's how he sounded in my head of the movie.
2: I that's how he sounded in the movie, too.
1: In the background, Keaton hears a crowd of people screaming and clapping and eating and burping all at once. Like how Alderaan sounded to Ben Kenobi when times were good. (laughs) It was like McDonald's. That's my link, dingus. Obviously. (laughs) Keaton's all... Yeah, Mr. Swanson, McDonald, this is Michael Keaton calling about the thousand-piece... It's hard to... Recover those with Keaton's voice. Yeah, Mr. McDonald Swanson, this is Michael Keaton calling about the thousand piece of shit mixes over there. Oh, yeah, that's a mistake. Yeah, I figured. No one's that dumb. (laughs) Yes, we're going to need an infinity. Hold on. Connor, those are watermelon seeds. Throw those buns out and start all over. here, Mr. Keaton, and we don't even open for six hours. I'll have to call you back next year. He hangs
0: up. <laughs> I'm suddenly so glad I saw this movie. Oh, me too, me too. Thank you so much, Kelly. I'm
1: an impressionist! <laughs> Keaton's eyes light up. His pupils turn into scent signs. He takes out a map. A freeway goes from here to California. Unbelievable. He drives to California and pulls up outside the first ever McDonald's. Its logo is a small brown disc that's either a patty or hash browns. It's smiling sheepishly. The line to buy food's long and outside. (laughs) He gets behind a black lady. (laughs) She's all, don't worry, it moves fast, just like the food does once it's inside (laughs) When Keaton gets to the window one jump cut later, a kid with a hat sticks his head through the chain link at him like a jack in the box, ironically, and goes, Hello, welcome to McDonald's. Over a dozen served. Can I help you? Yeah, get me a ham. The kid hands him a bag. Here you go. A bag? What the? That must be my sleep. Where, where's the silverware? The fortune cookie? My change? The kid smiles and shrugs. What about napkins? The kid and all the people in line laugh at him. Oddly, Keaton has no problem finding a bench. He sits down, takes one bite of his burger, and gets an erection. He scarfs the rest, then walks to the restaurant and goes, Yeah, Zodiac, Swanson, this is the best bag I've thrown away since Stockton. How do you do it? Swan uh, I guess it has to be Zodiac for this one. <laughs> Zodiac saw. would you like a tour? We're super busy, but Hey. What's the worst that could happen? He walks a wonderstruck Keaton through the kitchen. As you can see, our trick's to make a thousand burgers at once. And this is our kill floor, same principle. Watch your step. Wow, these ketchup dispenser widgets that just squirt out three globs simultaneously. It's like something out of Buck Rogers in 1984. Yeah, well, we have this saying around here in the McDonald's kitchen. He smiles. Ron Swanson comes up, bites into a fry, then scowls and ticks some marks on a clipboard without any paper on it. I think we need to lower the fry cooker temperature to 7.2 Kelvin. He spits out what he's chewing. Zodiac picks it up, chews it for a second, goes, no, I don't know, I kind of like the saliva parts. Keaton grabs it out of his mouth, chews and it, goes, It's fine the way it is, Swanson, quit rocking the boat. He spits it out. Who is this? Mr. McSwanson, my name and this is uh, something crock, and I'd like to take you both out to dinner tonight. But somewhere nicer than this, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that night in the VIP booth at Arby's. <laughs> so what's your guys' story? It's probably not interesting enough to do a whole movie on like mine, but. Well, back in 1941, we worked for NASA. <laughs> That's this flashback footage corroborates. One day Zodiac here was all, fuck the war, let's go into meat preparation. But first we had to figure out the schematics for the kitchen, so I put an ad in for a bunch of cooks and took over the local park. (laughs) Zodiac's all... Only spelled cooks with a K, so... Some flashbacks show them chivvying a bunch of exhausted weirdo teenagers around some chalk drawing squares that are labeled things like Onion R&D, Sink Number 8, and Shoot with Bags in it. But then we realized we'd forgotten the cash registers, so we had to do it all over again. (laughs) The teenagers bump into each other and smudge the chalk. Nearby, a group wearing Burger King shirts sigh with impatience, waiting for their turn at the concrete. (laughs) One of the kids died of exhaustion. A humanoid chalk outline appears beside the, t- the kitchen one. <laughs> but finally, we had everything right. We rented out a parade, clique lights, strippers, the whole schmear. But we forgot one thing. Swanson's all, FLIES! Some flashbacks show us clouds of flies swarming the parking lot, devouring screaming people, leaving only skeletons. A car <laughs> explodes. A volcano rises out of the street and erupts fireballs. <laughs> but the next day, everyone forgot all that had happened. And after one kid showed up at our window and survived for a few minutes, 10,000 other people followed, all at the same time. Keaton's <laughs> all hmm. He stands up and walks out of Arby's. The next day, he shows up in their parking lot, makes them take him into their office, and goes, Wow, what a painting! Hey, what do you call those two giant yellow half-ovals on the roof struts there? That's fucking great. Those are an M. Really? M's look nothing like that. The hump's usually next to each other. Speaking of which, look, McDonald's's, I'd like to someday be ex-partners with you. Two woods, franchises. Why we'll have the word McDonald's associate with quality cuisine. <laughs> oh Swanson's easier. We'll have the word McDonald's associate with quality cuisine and ketchup from coast to coast and farming, like in the song, but factory farms. What do you say? No. The next day heat and dry it up again. <laughs>
2: The best one-word impression ever. That's
1: how he sounds. The next day, Keaton drives up again and goes, McDonald's, me again. Just like my reaction last night to your Big Macs, the virtue of ignorance is that it's unexpected. What do you say?
0: Uh-huh.
1: i are still not interested. The next day, Keaton drives up again and goes, all right, do it for your country, because a country with only one McDonald's is barely America to me. It's America. Also, I think we should call it the McDonald's. It's cleaner.
0: <laughs> Swanson looks at Zodiac.
1: <laughs> that win Swanson over. Okay. That night, Keaton takes his wife, Laura Dern, who's left acting and traveled back in time, to dinner with his golf buddies. pallum times. One old man with hair in a 50s suit's all, hey, Keaton, how's trying to fit milkshake mixes into your trunk going? <laughs> they all light cigars and laugh at him. Laura Dernzall. My husband's smart for once. You ought to listen to him. This isn't just about milkshakes, it's about fries. Behind her, the hot blonde from Grandma's Boy and Scooby Doo starts playing piano. Keaton <laughs> stares at her and starts to drool simultaneously from his mouth and pants. Patrick Wilson's all. That's my wife. Would you like to be inside her? <laughs> Laura Dernzall. Uh, Kelly, I don't think I was in this scene. <laughs> <laughs> Saw it a week ago, all right? I think this was how it went. (laughs) Keaton gets up, shoves the blonde aside on the piano stool and makes her listen to him sing and play, just the two of us. Wilson winks at Dern and goes, Think I smell special sauce. Laura Mm -hmm. Dern sighs at me and shakes her head. What the fuck, Kelly? (laughs) I look over at Hamburglar, muttering incomprehensibly beside me and go, You said it. The next day, Keaton excites his new employees by wandering around the kitchen while they're trying to cook and do stuff. (laughs) <laughs> he pays something, spits it out, and then barks at a pimply kid. Square patties. This isn't Wendy's asshole. Get the fuck out of my sight. Hey, nice turnover on those apples, son. What's your name? Junior, after my dad. But my employers call me Carl. Keaton looks at us and goes, this exchange will make sense during the closing credits. That night for Valentine's Day, he takes Stern to a bingo parlor, then goes to a random office and sits in a waiting room while a guy talking to a secretary's all, look, I'm for your family. This is the greatest book ever written. Every American should have one on their coffee table if they want to get to heaven. She's all, meh. Keaton listening is all, hmm. He walks up to the guy and goes, what's your name, kid? Uh, Abraham Beshevis Streis and Trichinosa Stein. I knew it. What's your ethnicity? I'm Jewish on my mom's side. My dad's also. What's a Jew like you selling? (laughs) Oh, fuck you, Keaton. (laughs) <laughs> and McDonald's. What did you like you doing selling Korans? The guy shrugs. Listen, kid, I like how you put that secretary in a place there. How'd you like to not be in the rest of the movie? As the kid starts to answer, <laughs> Keaton has dinner with Patrick Wilson, the grandma's blonde again. Wilson's all. Hey, uh, my wife invented something last night. Said she came up with it based on your singing voice. The blonde takes out a packet of paper, shakes the contents into the ashtray on the table, then dumps all this into Keaton's martini. Keaton takes a drink, <laughs> he burps, and then goes, I think it's the best milkshake I ever had, and it's room temperature, just like heaven. How'd you do it? She shrugs. Wait till I tell the McDonald's his twins. The next day, Ron Swanson looks at the new contract Keaton mailed him. Now he wants 4%. <laughs> And starting Tuesday, 94%. Also, we now have to open a slush fund to cover sexual blackmail fees for someone named Mayor McCheese. Zodiac's all, look, it's Keaton. All right, he means well. He's my fourth favorite Batman and my second favorite Keaton. Plus, I kind of like McCheese's position on Cuba, the actor. The phone rings. It's Keaton. He's all, hey, Ron, guess what? He hangs up. Swanson sighs at Zodiac, shakes his mustache, and goes, Having a cheeseburger for mayor and a hamburger as a police commissioner is an egregious transgression of the separation of powers. The phone rings again. It's Keaton. He's all, speaking of which, uh, now that we've conquered nutrition and politics, I think it's time to also ruin cinema. Backs it over a script I just wrote called Mac and Me. It's going to make Maximum Mobile Drive look like Sorcerer. It's about some aliens and a kid in a wheelchair getting blown up by cops at a supermarket. Speaking of which, he hangs up again. <laughs> Zodiac all, oh, look, it's Keaton. Come on, night shift. Swanson sighs, size. But then has a heart attack. That night at Keaton's house dinner, Dern's all, please pass the salt. Keaton takes a packet out of his pocket. He's all, actually, my new wife gave me this powdered salt. It's way better, look. He unzips the packet and pours a bunch of crystals onto Dern's ham. She's like, That's pepper, you idiot. Oh, yeah, I want a divorce. A 90%. He finds a phone, picks up its receiver, and hangs up angrily. When Swanson wakes up screaming, he's in a hospital bed surrounded by flowers and Zodiac. Keaton walks in. He's all, cool, yeah. Listen, uh, I tried to give this to you while you're in surgery there, but the doctors were dicks about it. He hands Swanson a greeting card with a kitten on it that says, I'm buying you me out, along with a blank check. <laughs> What's the check for? Come on, man. I just visited a sick friend. Then I had to come here also. Oh, by the way, came up with a cool new concept. Special meals with half size portions. We'll call them happy meals. For kids? Huh, well, I, I guess. I mean, you know, they're interested. Anyway, I also brought this. It's a will. Thought you might want to make me be a beneficiary in case you don't pull through. See ya. He walks out. Swanson sighs and steers his zodiac. Zodiac's all, uh, it's a Pacific Heights character, I guess. <laughs> the next day in a legal office with B.J. Novak. Oh, one last thing. My lawyer said we should do your royalties as a handshake agreement without any evidence or written anything, just nothing. Signatures, they're fake news. Also, no tape into this conversation. You understand. Swanson sighs, glances at Zodiac, and extends his hand. Keaton's all. Uh, yeah, they said it's probably better if our hands didn't make actual contact, you know. That way, no one can say later, "Hey, what's the hand? Uh, these are feet. What? What uh, was it?" Uh, 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 you get it. <laughs> Novak snickers. Think of that. was a different type of noise, not a snicker. Swanson sighs, glances at Zodiac, and picks up a pen. Keaton's all, uh, "Yeah, actually, uh, I already signed your name for you there, which I'm going to have to charge you for, obviously." Swanson sighs. Keaton's all, actually, uh, uh, yeah, uh, science now prohibited by your contract and looking at your brother. uh, Also, you can't use your last names anymore for anything or the word burger or any words. The next day, Swanson Zodiac watches a wrecking ball smashes through the word McDonald's on the marquee above their restaurant. Then they look across the street as Keaton's McDonald's opens and all the customers in front of the old one coo excitedly and cross the street to form lines in front of the new one. Families soon emerge from Keaton's crumpling and throwing their bags at Swanson's feet. A lone tear runs down his cheek. (laughs) A kid's all, look, Mom, there's white powder in my cup. He daubs some on his finger and runs it across his teeth. The mom's all, that's great, honey. Keaton comes outside, smiles at Swanson and Zodiac, and gives them the middle finger. Some words are all, that guy in the one scene who turned over the burger patties with a spatula ran the soulless corporation later, but was forced to resume his old duties when the patties started burning. The end.
2: (laughs) All right, Kelly Wine. So nice. That was really great. That was, that was really a pleasure.
1: Well,
0: thank you. I'm sorry I made us see this. <laughs> was it your fault? No, it's Dingus' fault because Dingus refused to do John Wick 2 this week. Right. So, yeah. can't, I can't abide that movie. He lives yeah. too far from a theater, obviously, that's playing it at a normal time. Yeah. So, Dingus, how do you feel about this movie you made us what's see? What's something better than that and, and not quite as good as it?
2: All right, something better than it, I would put uh, the social network over oh that
1: was my over too
2: um, because it's uh, a movie about something I could not care less about yeah. um, that doesn't bother to transcend its material to make it something uh trenchant uh, and under I would put Real the quick, blind did you say, side. did you
0: feel that did you feel that way about uh, uh social network like that it didn't transcend its, its material to make you care about it?
2: yeah that was okay. one of my that was one of my main beeps with social network was that I okay. really don't care about the uh um, the way that Facebook came to be uh it's not that dramatic to me, although it's over because I liked the way it was written uh, I liked some of the craft and the directing mm-hmm. um, and the acting much more than uh so it's it's pretty high over this movie um but ultimately I just don't care to sit around and watch why Facebook was created any more than I want to sit around and watch why McDonald's was created if you're not going to really get into some interesting issues.
0: Plus Um, this movie did not have dual army hammers.
2: Exactly right, yeah. It didn't bother with any of that. And uh, the CG on the two brothers in this movie was totally (laughs) weird. Mm -hmm. You you couldn't even tell they were twins, even though Kelly Wan kept uh, saying they were twins. It was weird. So under I would put the blind side because this, this particular particular <laughs> director um, it, it seems to be doing only these types of movies, these sort of uh, schmaltzy um, biographies that are manipulative. Um, and so I, I did a whole sort of writing about this, Saving Mr. Banks, and the blind side as far as like what's the balance of when I know I'm being manipulated but I'll allow it, and it's okay with me, and when I know I'm being manipulated and I can't stand it. Um, Blindside falls uh, under this because I think it, it goes off the rails.
0: And uh, so you also watched Saving Mr. Banks, which John Lee Hancock also directed. Uh, yes, I did. And you feel that fits in the category of you're, you're being uh, manipulated, and it it's, you, you, like it doesn't fit your threshold for how much you want to be manipulated in a movie. Um, actually, I quite liked uh, Saving Mr. Banks. Oh, uh, interesting! I was okay
2: with I was okay with the way that movie manipulated me. And sometimes you're along for the ride, and sometimes okay. you understand, you know. And, and this happens across the board, like with horror movies, with any kind of movie. You know, uh, all right, they're they're going to be playing certain strings, and sometimes you're okay with that, and sometimes you're not. And, and and the balance in that, and that was kind of what I was writing about this week after watching these three movies was. When is that okay and when is that not okay? And some of Mr. Banks, and it might be partly because um, Colin Farrell, Tom Hanks, and Emma Thompson are so good um, that it worked for me. And also the the idea of creating Mary Poppins and the reason it was created for the screen is more meaningful to me than a, than a crappy burger. Mm-hmm. Okay,
0: Kelly Wand, what's an over and under for you? Um, Well, I'm anti-biopics in
1: general, um, but I appreciate the special challenges that come with biopics about entrepreneurial assholes who aren't charming, and they're always going to try and rip you off, and then they become billionaires, and the movie is about that, Um, and my over-for-that social network, too, Mm -hmm. Um, but what Dingus said applies to to this also for me, it's like, I don't really care what McDonald's is founded. And it's about an asshole coming to power, um, <laughs> uh, somehow just through pattern. Cause he's not, he's not charismatic. Um, but we just see a lot of that, uh, in, in civilization. So I guess it's worthy subject matter for a movie. Uh, and my under is Wolf of wall street. Cause, uh, Same
0: concept, but less fun to watch. It's like Scarface. Wait, Wolf of Wall Street is less fun to watch than The Founder, you're saying? Yeah, Yeah, it's uh, it's
2: Longer? I mean, aren't there, like, uh, naked people in that?
1: I just remember there's no... uh, Yeah, okay, that part's good to watch, but she's not in it that much. I don't know, the Margot Robbie parts are good. Maybe it shouldn't be my under.
2: And there's no Margot Robbie in this. It's fine, I haven't seen it, so. You haven't? I have not seen Wolf of Wall Street because it's like five hours long. It's just there's no payoffs to things.
1: Yeah, and it's like, like The Aviator is a, is a is a way better. Like that's maybe one of the best biopics, just because hmm. that's about someone kind of interesting to me. It's another Scorsese, and it feel it's long but it doesn't feel long at all. And Wolf of Wall Street felt way longer to me, and I didn't. It seemed random which scenes from this guy's life he was picking to adapt to movies.
0: Well, Walter, I mean, Walter, uh, Howard Hughes, I, I think you would be hard-pressed to make a boring biopic right. about Howard Hughes. Like, that, right there, the subject matter is so completely different. Yeah. I don't even remember the name of the guy in Wolf of Wall Street. Uh, and as far as mm. I know, that like I don't think that needs to even be a biopic, because nobody knows who that guy is. You or go into Wolf of Yeah, right. You go into Wolf of Wall Street to see basically a look at Wall Street in the, the 80s, in the heyday of uh, right. the financial boom there. And the actual character doesn't matter. Uh, so I... It, but, but uh, Aviator is about somebody who people have heard of and who has these really weird eccentricities and who's in a glamorous period. Yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, so what I'm saying iconic. is – iconic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I like your invoking uh, Wolf of Wall Street in comparison to this. I'm just surprised that you would rather watch this again than the, Wolf, the of, Wolf, Wall Wolf of Wall Street. Wolf of Wall
1: Street? Yes. Tell
0: you what, Kelly, this is shorter.
1: It's way shorter, and I like the idea of it. I like the idea that there's a movie about – it's a biopic about the founder of McDonald's, and he's a total asshole. Like, that's not – that doesn't sound bad on paper to me. It's something to watch. Right? And when I heard it, that's what when I, my mom didn't like, it. just like, oh, he's such a dick. Then instantly my interest in the movie shot way up. Like, oh, so it's not, it's not a Mac and me portrayal of McDonald's. It's something they wouldn't want us to watch. It's like a fast food nation, McDonald's. But it's not really even that. It's not that fun. I probably would want to watch Wolf of Wall Street again. I don't know. I've yeah, heard you, Tom. Just,
0: well, there's no – one of my problems with this is it's completely unironic, and it's just a cookie-cutter yeah. movie about living the American dream in the 50s, and it makes sense now that I hear that it's, it's based on an autobiography, uh, some of the – disjointed presentation of the character because he starts out sort of hapless and put upon and he relies consistently on advice and help from other people so that by the time it's over, the final shot of the movie, he's implying that he – his business acumen is responsible for for what? Like he's really accomplished all this stuff, and the movie didn't really establish that. So I don't know if that was a mistake. Yeah, you're right. uh, like I don't know if the idea was that he was he wasn't uh, self aware or if the movie wasn't self aware. Um, but my overall problem with it is th- this this story of this guy who it should have been compelling because he did a terrible thing to the McDonald brothers, and right. but he, he was that, never good but and that that i think there's an interesting story to be told there like these two guys down-home fellas and this one guy with this business acumen and how they came together and eventually drifted apart that should be a good script and Robert Siegel who wrote The Wrestler should be a good writer to to be able to do it and that absolutely does not happen this story is as bland as actually eating at McDonald's Uh, if if anything that's how it honors McDonald's is by being without any kick whatsoever without anything memorable Uh, it's just a disposable experience which is terrible Um, so my over and my under are both movies that I don't like because I didn't like this at all Uh, my over is Richard Linklater's adaptation of Fast Food Nation now a fellow named Eric Schlosser wrote a book uh, and the book's an interesting read but I think it's a little bit overblown he's basically uh, he does a good job of unpacking the history of fast food that part of the book is great but later on when he's trying to do this Upton Sinclair style expose of the industry I, there's there's no real smoking gun there, and I feel like it's, he's reaching. So the mm-hmm. book I don't care for that much. But when Richard Linkletter, uh, with Eric Schlosser doing helping him write it, by the way, made a movie out of it, Linkletter did uh, a bit like uh, uh, traffic does with with drug trafficking. He did that kind of approach for the fast food industry, following different characters. And some of the threads in Linklater's adaptation uh, are really compelling, including one uh, on the killing floor of of a slaughterhouse. Uh, There's a bit with people uh, working as uh, just minimum wage workers at fast food restaurants. Um, So there are parts of Fast Food Nation that I really enjoyed that I thought Richard Linklater was able to pull a compelling story out of that. Even though I didn't think Eric Schlosser's book was really, uh, other than as a historical look at fast food, I didn't think it was as the expose I thought it was. Uh, my under, similarly, uh, and it's not even a movie, by the way, because it's a documentary, uh, when Morgan Spurlock decides he's going to eat fast food from McDonald's for, Ugh. I think it was like 30 days, three days a week, and surprise, surprise, it, he gains weight. Uh, Supersize Me, I think, is, is similarly uh, – yeah, eating crappy food isn't good for you, Morgan Sparlock. Nobody didn't know that. And trying yeah. to somehow pin it on McDonald's uh, was just a publicity stunt. I think Supersize Me is, uh, is just document documentary film uh, – self-aggrandizing documentary filmmaking at its worst. Uh, so I hate Supersize Me. Don't like Fast Food Nation that much. Uh, the founder fits somewhere in there. Um, now, Dingus, when you were talking about saving Mr. Ranks, which I didn't care for, but I definitely agree with you Colin Hanks, Emma Thompson, uh, uh, Colin Farrell, Tom Hanks, Colin and Hanks. Thompson. Oh, my God. Uh, they're, they're, they're great to watch in that. Uh, and I don't feel that there was any counterpart for them here. Like, I didn't. Did any of you guys really enjoy what Michael Keaton was doing? I think. Yo, go ahead,
2: Kelly.
1: Well, just like biopics um, without the main character having a big freak out feel lightweight to me. Like he never was struggled and he never like had a moment of truth or clarity and he had no arc. So it all felt kind of static. Yeah. Like he was the same in every scene. He just gets a little angrier. (laughs) <laughs> as it goes on, and that's the only change I
0: noticed. It really was a pretty flat performance. I mean, yeah, and and I, I thought there was a lot of quirkiness for quirkiness sake that he was doing. I didn't like what he was it, doing with uh-huh. his voice, and I guess at the end when we show the actual Ray Kroc talking, we're supposed to think, oh, that's why Michael Keaton was talking in a pinched voice, uh, but yeah, I didn't. There, there was you no...
1: Like, just the guy should disappear in the role for a biopic. Like, that's the only time where I even noticed, like, oh, yeah, wow, well, I forgot it was that guy. And I never once had that feeling while watching this. It was right. like Michael Keaton trying to
2: sound like, you know, a dude from the 50s.
0: So, Dingus, how did he work for you?
2: He didn't work for me at all. I mean, I, I mean, for me, he was equal parts his performance in Beetlejuice and uh, his performance – in uh Batman, where he grabs the thing and says, "You want to get you know when he's going to attack Joker or whoever shoots him with when he puts the, uh, the tray the in his in his jacket where he he's just pretending to do things i mean I didn't anybody i yeah that, i didn 't buy a thing that he was doing, but you know part of that is that I just don 't care about this character at all i 'd rather be with the um the mcdonald's brothers there they seem They seem yeah. to have an interesting thing going on with him and there's there's this whole interesting um, thing that you can do thematically as far as losing your name is concerned that reminds me of of things in literature like uh, John Proctor and the crucible or any number of things where your name was much more important. And valuable, and and such such that's the only thing I really have in life, uh, as opposed to the way we live now. Um, those two, or even, uh, it, I think the name of the character was June, June Martino or Juno Martino, the, um, the Katie Lim part. Uh, this woman who was this receptionist slash bookkeeper who just kept plugging along and eventually became this important figure in the corporation, I would much rather see her story. This is a Ray crock dude. He's just a douche. And I, and I don't think that they, I don't think that John Lee Hancock knows how to, or because it's a Disney movie or whatever it is, he's just following a formula that he's done before, uh, knows where the actual story is or how it's pertinent to what's going on right now. Because I think there are things you can say about The creation of fast food is a thing and where we are now if you want to. Um, But I just don't think he bothers.
0: Well, that's why you mentioning that it's based partly on Ray Kroc's autobiography makes sense to me. It's like, oh, that's why this is all we got. Uh, And I did kind of enjoy, although this wasn't news to me, like I kind of enjoyed this idea of, uh, you know, sort of an early look at how drive-ins morphed over to fast food. You know, by focusing on just the popular meals, using the paper dishes, eliminating the car hops, uh, taking this assembly line approach to emphasize efficiency. Like that that could be a cool bit, but it was only maybe, you know, 15, 20 minutes of the movie tops. And right. if you're going to do that, I think you also need to somehow acknowledge the slightly darker edge of stripping any sort of soul out of out of food, out of feeding right. people, because that's a very important loving thing to do—to feed someone and to industrialize that, to maximize that for efficiency. There's a darker side to that, and I, I think the movie just wasn't self-aware enough to do anything other than present. Okay, here are a few facts, uh, and here's a montage of people training. Uh, like it was just so unaware of what could have been some really provocative elements, and like you said, Dingus, some relevant
1: uh, elements. I do, I really like the idea that he takes their name from them. I think that's a really good...
0: And thing. that was just like a little bit at the end,
1: too. Like yeah. It,
0: it, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess that was supposed to that's be in point. a way... Yeah, and I guess that was, I mean, one of the rare things you might credit the script with is it saved that as like the final blow, I guess. Yeah. Uh, like it knew that that was significant so that it But it, it also makes it the end.
1: It makes the brothers look like idiots,
0: too, for, for the handshake. Well, and like Why wow. yeah, do
1: you know who this guy is? Like, why – like, you should have cut him off way before then.
2: Well, I mean, that, I'm glad you brought that up because I was talking to I, – I, I saw this with, uh, with our friend Alexandra, and, and she basically doesn't have sympathy for them because of them falling for that at the end. Right. I mean, that's in part by that, and so I'm interested to hear how you feel about
0: that. Well, we're supposed to be—we're supposed to sympathize with them being taken advantage of, but really, they should understand business a little by this better. Point. Yeah, it's exactly. Not, yeah, said they,
1: nothing but lie
0: of them. Yeah, I mean, I, I just felt like they were kind of naive and foolish, rather than kind of noble and aggrieved. Uh, uh, that's a. not the
1: third term by that point.
0: Yeah. Uh, but that never
1: I, really happened, though. Then. It, it, that's the thing about biopics is like in, in, in terms of a movie that we're watching is like, what? Come on. Are you guys idiots? But if that all actually happened and he somehow over years wore them down, that's harder to convey that sense of
2: just attrition. I mean, uh-oh. Uh-oh. that's a great point, because I think one of the main problems with this movie, and I forgot to mention this earlier. And I think he, uh, John Lee Hancock has problems with this in in the blind side as well, is he, he conveys no sense of the passage of time. None whatsoever. Yeah. And it drives me up the fucking wall. I mean, I can't stand it for this movie. I can't stand on, not understanding what the passage of time is.
1: Same hair, um, same clothes. And a lot of time's passing. Like, it all looks like it could could have been happening in one year, just based because, on how the characters look. But
2: you know how real estate is purchased and buildings are built, right. and that takes time. But what is the passage of time? And he gives us no sense of this. And I, I'm not asking for – I mean, there's, a, there's an initial time card of 1954, but – I, I don't want time cards. I would like you to give me some sense of what the passage of time is, and I don't think he's very good at that at all. And that drives me crazy because that – you know, other than understanding that he's mortgaged their house, and I guess this is the same house even though it looks different the second time they show it. um, I, I don't understand what's going on, and the makeup change is fine, but I don't know what the passage of time is, and in this kind of movie, I think that is vital. Yeah. True. That's I issue. mean, one of the things that I thought was interesting when I was talking to Alexander about this was was just this this difference of of, of do you feel sympathy for these two guys or do you not? I mean, I should. Well, w- whether they deserve sympathy or not, um, do you feel it or not? And I was thinking about well, I I certainly do because because of that name thing and because of their values and their ideas about. Um, you know Um, we're about family, we're about feeding people, and I like the way Tom put that about how, I don't know how you put it Tom, but it, what a loving or generous thing that it's to do for somebody and how even though they're doing it fast they're putting love into it, or, or at least it's for family, and yeah, they're going to make money, they're going to make a living, but they're not out for greed but they fall into this I don't, I, I, I guess you can't call it a swindle, but they get more or less, in the end cheated by this guy, but They should have known better, but I still feel sympathy for them. Um, And I was thinking about this, and and I apologize for getting political. (laughs) Uh, I was thinking about this cast against um, my feelings about, like, voters for Trump who might lose their health care. And my knee-jerk reaction would be like, well, F them. They voted for him. Too bad. But
1: But not all of them.
2: But not all of them, and their kids certainly didn't. So – even though they fell for the scam, if it turns out to be that, I still feel for them. Um, I still feel sympathy for them, even though they should have known better. And, and even though these two brothers should have known better, I still feel for them. But I understand the point of view of, like, they should have known better. They shouldn't have sh- shaken that guy's hand.
1: Well, they did try, too, in their defense, unlike the Trump voter. Like, they did they did try to shut him down and go, look, we're going to do milkshakes and I do like the idea that, like, at the beginning, he hates the milkshake mixers. He's bummed when he sells them. He hates putting them in the trunk. And so it's almost like the whole movie is an arc of, like, how do I get rid of these things? I'll just get rid of the milkshakes. And so that, that's kind of a cool setup, I swear, maybe. Like, the milkshake just sums up. It's like a metaphor <laughs> for something that's a pain in the ass, but the ta- you can taste the difference. Because all the other stuff that McDonald's sells is easy to do. So it seems like that would have been the one line in the sand where the McDonald's brothers – like where Swanson finally gets Zodiac to back him. It's like, look, these aren't even milkshakes. How can can you look yourself in the mirror
0: at night? It does make me wonder if there was supposed to be – like maybe there was something in the script there that John Lee Hancock didn't seize on, the whole milkshake thing, because of him – peddling the machines at first because the fact that this woman he's lusting after comes up with this shortcut. Uh, you know, Does that somehow influence the, the fact that he was willing to, to do this? Uh, there was one fantastic shot in this movie, and I think it was a complete accident, uh, and partly because I don't even think the movie knew quite what to make. Of Ray Kroc's relationship to his wife Mm. and Patrick Wilson's wife. Like, it's really skeevy when he's having a Uh. business meeting and he's staring at the blonde at the piano, and even after Patrick Wilson says, This is my wife, that stuff is creepy. Like, if if someone was doing an autobiography of me, I would be unhappy. Like, I wouldn't want people to know that I was like that if that's how that turned out. That was, like, really weird. Um, So the fact that she ends up suggesting this shortcut for the milkshakes. That scene where she breaks the powder out and she mixes it, and I don't buy for a second that that tasted good, by the way.
2: No, right. Uh,
0: so I w- it, it almost made me think, is he lying when he says it tastes good? But after he puts it down, and again, I don't think John Lee Hancock had any concept of what he was doing. There's a shot of the glass with the milkshake. With her lipstick on the brim of the glass, and beyond that shot is her cleavage and mm-hmm. i don 't think john Lee Con- John Lee Hancock held that shot long enough to where he knew what it was, but that right there like if that had been Sums used it as, up. As, well i do 't think it did it does like it, if that had been like a character arc is his lust for this woman, this how inappropriate it was, his willingness to compromise a very important value of this this fast food service. Um, and how she kind of influenced him that way, uh the kind of the sexuality of that moment, and the fact that he was going to eventually divorce his wife for her like right. that stuff was intriguing and uh i don 't I don't think i don 't I don't know if Robert Siegel wrote some of this in there um because it was it was definitely in there there was weird stuff in there about his regard for her um and, and that's what I
1: would. I'd like to see Scorsese tackle the, that love triangle, like Wolf of Wall
2: Street. No, well, there's not even a triangle. I mean, it's.
0: Well, if you don't, I mean, Patrick no, no.
2: Wilson is so ineffectual, and Laura Dern isn't even present.
0: Well, if you also think like Patrick Wilson too, yeah, Patrick Wilson and Laura Dern, like that, what? How do they figure into this? Do they care? Right. Laura Dern they just get rid of her. Patrick Wilson, I think Patrick we'll Wilson it What down. the fucks
1: he thinking?
0: What's he thinking during these
1: scenes? Is he going, yeah, "Oh yeah. cool, this is going to make is he is he closing the deal and giving him his
0: wife?" And the thing is he, this he was written by it. This was written by a guy who wrote and directed a movie called Big Fan, which is super mm. dark. Yeah. Like Big Fan, Big Fan understands how how petty and weird human beings mm. are. Right. Uh, the guy who wrote and directed that, Robert Siegel, you would think that might be part of what he might to bring want might to what he might want to bring out in this story, and it doesn't make it at all. Even though there are bits where you could see it could go in that direction, it doesn't in the least. Uh, it's not it, on the screen. It's not on the screen at all, except that that one shot. Like uh, I think he's saving it. You know, I
2: noticed that cleavage shot as well. And I thought, okay, there's a milkshake in front of two breasts. Are we going to hang on this? Because milk, breasts, there's sexuality here. But oh, it just yeah. it's sort of in a little bit like it's a little out of focus. And then we just cut away and we just – I think yeah. what he is wanting to do, he thinks he has a reveal in that la- in that scene where she comes up behind him in their mansion in, in California. And it's like, dun, dun, dun. Oh, she's the one he's married to. I think he thinks that's a reveal. Uh, or he's saving something for that reveal. Right. I mean, there's that I, – I really do kind of like, um, even though it's perverse, that that telephone scene where the two of them are flirting over the telephone. Uh, I think that that kind of is going in the right direction, but I don't think he really understands what the power is of that relationship for us or what it means for us. And you know, and, and actually, our our listener Chris Markinson says too. And this, I think this really plays into it because I think Laura Dern is just uh, tossed away in this. And Chris says this as well after seeing her in certain women. He says you kind of have to cringe watching her stuck in a throwaway role like this one. Right, right.
1: I think we're supposed to think that, like, oh, she she meant nothing to him. Even though it's she
2: really it's really painful, especially when he's talking about denying her everything. I mean it's just
0: Well but he's but not new- I mean he, he's just denying her the business. Like I think that's a weird scene too because he basically says, Yeah, give her everything and then the lawyer's like, Well what about the business? He's like, No, none of that. She can't give
1: her, her nothing.
0: Yeah, yeah, because like at first it's sort of like he doesn't care about anything else, like she can have it all and you think, Oh, he pities her. You know, he he wants he feels bad about this. Uh, but you realize no, he's just trying to make sure she doesn't get her fingers on on any of the business right, stuff. Uh, but then at the
1: end, there's that voice or the text that's like the the new wife, Linda Cardellini,
0: gave all her money to charity, which made me think I would have much rather th- seen a story about her because yeah. I want to know why she gave all that money to charity. And it specifically calls out NPR, by the way. Like, yeah. why did this woman give money to <laughs> Salvation Army and NPR? Uh, I
2: noticed that too, yeah. that's funny. Yeah.
0: yeah, and and the way it put it is that most of their fortune, she she gave most of their fortune to charity. What? Why? I mean, what? Yeah. don't leave me hanging. What was going on there? Did she it a fuck yeah. you to him? Yeah, did she realize that he was a scumbag? Did she did she despise him or did she just, she didn't need the money, so whatever. Or uh, she
1: played him to
0: make the money to give to charity. And right, she, right. Long con. Yeah. I yeah. think it's the, more likely that she just
2: realized really. he was a scumbag because once you're a scumbag, you're – basically always the scumbag and actually you know chris also really uh, you know i I should have brought this up before but chris liked michael keaton's performance he liked how the character evolved into a villain
0: well i did i it's promising to start with michael keaton giving you this oily salesman patter like right into the camera uh but it just like kelly said it didn't really go anywhere there was no sense of development and the fact that he ends up using that same speech is just kind of endemic of what's going on with, with the characters. It just got trying to watch that over and over again. And
1: He doesn't change over the He minute. doesn't
0: change, and the quirkiness just feels forced to me, like he's doing a character, especially, by the way, against the absolute, almost to a fault, I would say, just laid-back naturalism that, that Nick Offerman and John Carroll Lynch were yeah. doing. Those hmm. guys were being themselves. They were just, like, hanging right. out uh, yeah, so Michael Keaton next to those guys and even even the yeah. other actors like uh, like B.J. Novak. I love that guy. I don't know why I know him, but uh, he's super you – know
2: You know him from The Office, The American Office. Um, he was a yeah, uh, regular Spout on stuff. that, and he was in, in The Glorious Bastards. But he also produced and wrote a lot of The Office stuff, and he was in Saving Mr. Banks. He was one of the music writers
0: along with Jason right. Schwartzman. But I liked him. You know, and I liked some of the sort of naturalistic performances. But, uh, yeah, so Keaton just stood out for me and it wasn't really working. Also, what the heck? 1950, one shot of smoking and it wasn't any of the main characters. (laughs) Where was it? Uh, In one of the restaurants, there are people in the foreground smoking as the camera moves up to the table where everybody is sitting, and none of them are smoking. Uh, But there was one shot of of extras basically smoking cigarettes. I could not believe that.
2: It's really funny that you say that because Chris Markinson also says that it was weird seeing smoking in a movie theater. So do you remember when that happened?
0: Oh. No. When did that happen?
2: All right. So he went to see a movie. He went to see On the Waterfront. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I On the right. waterfront, okay. which right. is right. about right.
2: unionizing, right. Um, uh, and he was sitting in the movie theater smoking in the movie theater.
0: All right, I, I, that I appreciate, but I I need way more smoking. I mean, nobody smoked yeah. in this. I mean, it was such a it was such a 2017 movie for that reason. Right, that's such a like. Yeah. And they got and they like got, a got great movie. And they got rid
2: of a smoking or a cigarette uh, dispensing machine. Is that what you said?
0: Right, that's right. They did take that out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, huh.
2: So, what do you guys think? Um, this is again. Uh, sorry, we had one listener right in. It was Chris. What do you guys think about <laughs> in the listening. in the age of the internet? What do you think about this? Here's what everybody did after the movie uh, being done the at the end of a movie. I mean, we can all figure out what everybody did very easily nowadays.
1: It made some um, weird choices because there was like two of them were that guy in that one scene became a manager later.
2: Like. Well, I, I like that. I like that Fred Turner. You know, he's that one. That that's kind of a payoff. You know, you're Fred, Freddy, Fred. But what do you think about that? Those title card things.
0: I'm okay with those. <laughs> I mean, I I you know I I a movie I really liked recently was a Deepwater Horizon. Oh, and actually, uh, um, a uh, Patriot Day. Both Peter Berg's movies. Uh, they have that kind of thing. And I want to know uh, these okay. things. Like, I want to know is everybody okay? What what became of him? How did he do? Uh, and the Cardellini uh, ones are really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I don't, I don't take any issue with, I don't take issue with those things. Uh, Markinson didn't like it, Dingus?
2: No, I think he's just asking. He wanted to ask you guys a question. I think
0: that's it. And what did you think, Dingus?
2: You do, you, you probably hate those, right?
1: They're a, and they're in every biopic, aren't they? No, nope. ever a biopic without them.
2: I kind of like them. I mean, in the way that I liked the uh, the title card, or the at least the pictures at the end of Argo, seeing okay, this is the person, right. the way they really look, yep. and this is the Actor that actually played them, and I'm not going to go and look up that crap when I get home. I, I'm not, I just don't. I don't. Care. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to match, um, you know, Michael Keaton against Ray Kroc. I don't care. But it's interesting and convenient to see it thrown up there on the screen. This is the dude. This is the dude. Uh, so I like just just the the pictures more than anything. And then I liked knowing that the part that the, one of the characters I was really interested in, uh, the Kate Nealon part. Um, became somebody who was really important to the company. It was interesting to me. Uh, I like that.
0: Uh, when she shows up at the construction site with the letter, and he's like, uh, "Read it to me." That 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 sort of thing drives me crazy. Is why they do that just so that the audience yeah. can hear the letter. Yeah. Like I'm always aware of those things. Did you did yeah. you see nocturnal animals? No, I did not. There's an, there's, a, there's an awesome part. This is like yeah. the very first scene where uh, Amy Adams receives a package and uh, she gets a paper cut, which is, uh, becomes sort of symbolic later. But she gets a paper cut as she's opening it. So she asks her assistant, uh, could you open the package for me? Because like, it hurt her finger too bad. Uh, so he opens the package. Me? right? And then he reads her the letter. And she's like, could you read me the letter? Because she's nursing her paper cut. And they do that just so that the audience can hear the letter rather than – you know, having a voiceover read the letter or flashing words on the screen or whatever. Um, uh, And how about that soundtrack? Uh, Carter Burwell. I was expecting I'm loving it. But I never heard it like work. It was Carter Burwell, wasn't it? It sounded like someone imitating Carter Burwell, and then it turns out, nope, it was Carter Burwell. Yeah, that was kind of embarrassing. It was embarrassing. I think... I, I get the sense he just like wrote some Burwell-esque music, and John Lee Hancock had no idea what to do with it because yep. it, was, it was just drizzled all over this movie like syrup on a pancake <laughs> with no regard for whether it belonged at any moment. Like there there were moments where something – And on that it, date. Like it was supposed to be like <laughs> playful at times and uh, – there, there was a bit where the brothers are uh, disagreeing about something. Um, they're arguing that they have a, a wolf in the hen house, and there's this like sappy, sweet music playing, uh, mm. and that constantly <laughs> happened. It was like the tone of the music had no concept. Uh, it just didn't fit with what was going on on screen. That's the hen house before the wolf. Yeah. Ugh, whatever it was, it was – and I really was aghast to find out that it was actually Carter Burwell. That was, that was disturbing sad. to me because the the other music, I think from one of
2: the other movies of his, I think it was Saving Mr. Banks, you know, when it wasn't Mary Poppins music, I think it was James Newton Howard, who I think you can imagine doing some Disney music for, but you don't want to imagine Carter Burwell doing like this kind of we're going to tug on your heartstrings music. Yeah, yeah. I
1: think it would have been cool if. For the John Carroll Lynch text at the end, like what happened to him, it just says, he was discovered to be the Zodiac. So, <laughs> that's like the last one.
0: I really, really have a hard time watching uh, Nick Offerman with a buzz cut and a clean-shaven face. That, uh, that was really? really just disturbing. Yes, it did, uh, it did not work for me.
2: Wait, so, uh, Chris also said he, he didn't like seeing him uh, as a subdued Ron from Parks and Rec. I don't have any problem.
0: With Ron's that. subdued, isn't he? Yeah, Ron is pretty subdued. I, my, yeah, my favorite non-Parks and Rec Nick Offerman. And the more I think about this movie, the more I really like it. Did you guys ever see Me and Earl and the Dying Girl? No. no. Yeah, man, I really like that. So he just plays a, uh, uh, it's like a hippie dad in that. And he's basically just a Ron Swanson, uh, and he's. I mean, everybody in that movie, I think there's some great little parts. But I really liked Nick Offerman in that.
2: Oh, you uh, did you showed me a scene from that, didn't you?
0: Yeah, there's a bit where he holds up a Siamese cat up to the camera. Yeah. Because to to, to comfort his son, I think. He's like, Here, look at this cat. Uh yeah, he's just super adorable in that. He was also this guy's uh, oh no no no. It was we were looking up who directed Skull Island. So the guy that did Skull Island did something called Something Something Summer, which had Nick Offerman in it. Um but yeah, I do I need I need some facial hair on my Nick Offerman.
2: Mm. I I really liked the way he, I love the way he looks because I didn't recognize him at first. I yeah. had forgotten that he was going to be in this and when that was, he was one of the reasons that I was okay with seeing it and I still forgot that he was going to show up. I was like, fully expecting to see John Carroll Lynch, which who I really like a lot. Um, but I wasn't expecting to see him and I was like, "Who's that
0: doofus?" I was like, "Oh, <sighs> duh. Yeah. Would they have been smoking while they were cooking? Like, would they have been smoking in the kitchen? They would have, wouldn't they?
2: Yeah, it's I just those they fry. two would have been because they were so meticulous. But, know.
0: thing is, back then people had to smoke. You couldn't expect people to not smoke. And well, your 50's. doctor,
2: your doctor told you to. It's like taking it's like like taking prescription drugs.
0: No, it's like your vitamins, right? It makes you it yeah. increases your pep.
2: Yeah, very good.
1: I wouldn't mind drinking what's in Linda Cardellini's packets. One, two. Only you and me Got when I'm between one,
0: 2, 3, feet down with three feet. Else. Oh, uh, Kelly Wand what do we know Li- Linda Cardellini from? You mentioned Scooby-Doo? Yeah and Grandma's boy age of, yeah, Ultron. She's she's an age of Ultron she's Velma? oh yeah who's that?
1: Uh, Buffy.
2: Uh, oh, yeah, whatever.
1: See? Right. Almost
2: <laughs> It's crazy. Yeah, She's yeah. Jeremy Renner's wife in Ancient
0: Ultron. Right, right, right. Uh, somebody Barton. Uh, Celia Barton or whatever. Yeah. And, by the way, I think Jeremy Renner was a producer on this movie. I thought I saw Jason Schwartzman's really? name too, didn't I?
2: John Schwartzman was the cinematographer, oh. I believe. Maybe I don't maybe. know if he's related, but John Schwartzman has been cinematographer for this and Saving Mr. Banks and Jason Schwartzman was in that. I haven't connected them yet, but I, I'm pretty sure Jeremy Renner or somebody named Jeremy Renner was a producer on this movie.
0: When they're doing that duet where he goes over and Linda Cardellini's playing uh, and Michael Keaton just scooches her over and starts playing the piano and singing with her, uh, I just wanted to go watch La La Land. At this point, I was like <laughs> done with the movie. Like, okay, just you're making me want to watch La La Land.
1: You just pretend, pretend those were, that was who was on screen.
2: Yeah. <laughs> God, i get so get done packed. with this movie so early.
0: Well, we're done with it now. So guess what we're going to do? A three by three that might involve politics. So you're going to make Donald Trump watch three movies. Uh, if you don't want to hear politics spoken on this uh, quarter to three movie podcast. This is that this is politics and movies we're combining them, so we've given Does he ourselves an excuse. transcend politics like it's not even politics, right like we're not he's just
1: doing random. It's like saying the nine eleven's politics
2: It still is right. I mean talking about him it still is that for a lot of people, so it's going to be painful for some people, and I can respect that, but we want to talk about it.
0: I can't imagine anybody who listens to this podcast has any problem with us. Complaining about Donald Trump, right? Yeah. But you said it's you've something. gotten some complaints about when we talk politics. It might have been about my video streaming, but I, I think actually there was. Oh. That. Yeah, and maybe okay, maybe one or two people. But at this point, if you still support Trump, you have basically failed an understanding of the American political system that you should have learned in fourth grade in civics. So, <laughs> if that's the case, you know, fine. Just go read a few books, and you'll understand what we're, where we're coming from. Uh, But we're going to talk a little bit of what could be construed as politics here because he is our president by making Donald Trump watch three movies. So what what I'm going to do is because I didn't – I had ideas about what to do with this that didn't kind of bear up over the course of the week while I thought about it. (laughs) Uh, So it became something else for me. So we can just – rather than I do my number three and then Dingus does his number three and then Kelly, let's just each read our three. Is that okay? Can we do these in a clump? You guys okay with that? (laughs) <laughs> That's okay. I've got. I've still got stuff to yeah. say about all three. Okay, no, no, the, right, right, good. About all three. But, uh, cause mine, I mean, if I just. Individually. If, right, right, right. If I just break mine up, it's not going to make as much sense and no one cares that much. So I'm going to. Let's just take them in groups of three. All uh, right. and let's see. So, Dingus. No, who's doing next it's week? Kelly One Kelly's doing next, yeah. You're doing next week's three by three. So give us and tell us a little bit about each of the three movies you would make Donald Trump watch.
1: Well. I my went with the concept of teachable moment movies where I f- would think if he watches this He'll get this. But in truth, honestly, I don't think he would get the right lessons from anything like he doesn't Mm -hmm. learn or advance or evolve. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not convinced that my theories. I'm not convinced that my plan would work. Like if he watched these movies, he'd get what I was trying to tell him.
0: But you're trying. You have you have a plan whether it works or not. Like this is what you're going for. Right.
1: I'm just throwing my name in the hat. Like this is what I would do if it was up to me. And it uh, might not work, you're saying. Maybe it wouldn't work. I, might not work. I right. probably wouldn't. He's usually he's never pleasantly surprising us. Like, oh. And he never seems to like glean knowledge or like learn anything from anything that happens. He's a very like incurious fellow. Yeah, he's incurious and he's not very I don't know, like he just tries to turn
0: everything into something about him. Right. So um But I you're gonna try, try to- yeah, so you you you're yeah. at least a shot. You're just conceding it might not work.
1: Right, but I'm also playing to that zone as much as possible. Like, ah. find something about yourself in this, since you're obviously not going to learn about issues. Like, see, like, I've kind of set the bar really low. Mm-hmm. So my number three
0: for Donald Trump would be being there. <laughs> ah, well, that, that might oh, see, he might see that, though, and see himself as the Chansey Gardner character. I know, but... That was my I problem that,
2: as well. He's always going to identify with the best. Right, right. But I
1: thought maybe it would be helpful to him to see how... Because the Peter Sellers' character in that movie is very benign, mm-hmm. and it makes him really popular and, and accidentally competent sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, And if, if Donald Trump wants to be popular... Wouldn't it blow people? He also wants to be unpredictable. Like, Wouldn't it blow people's minds if he suddenly became benign? Like, What? Like, That would make us crazy. We'd go, mm-hmm. wait, now he's nice? What's happening?
0: I, I can imagine the I like to watch Eve scene with Shirley MacLaine basically masturbating would play out yeah. very differently, though, if Donald yeah. Trump were a Chauncey Gardner. And he, that would just be, he would just be tweeting during it. I don't think he'd be interested.
1: That's true. It would be unprecedented.
2: Also, so, if it's, she's too old. He would just be no. She's yeah. a four. Four. <laughs>
0: All right. So, so being there, I, I appreciate that attempt. That's good. I like that. Uh, uh, what, what's your second movie? Well, my to make number
1: two—they're less thoughtful. <laughs> my number two is uh,
2: American Psycho.
0: Why? Oh my gosh! You're gonna give him uh, ideas.
2: Don't I mess but with I think, the kid. Do we? We can't talk about his kids. How dare you?
0: What? That's chill. <sighs>
2: Oh, I see, Jared. His kids
0: do look like, yeah, yeah, his kids yeah. do look like uh, uh, Pat, Patrick Bateman, yeah.
1: Okay, this one would probably backfire, you're right, but my theory would be, since it's buried between the other two, like, what he's, what my hope, hope. what I'm hoping the takeover would be from would be, what you're doing, this was only cute in the 80s, And <laughs> like, there's a reason this is a period, piece. <laughs> I know you're trying to bring back those golden sacks honeymoon days as fast as possible. So I think right? I'm going
2: to get a t-shirt for myself that says, this is only cute in the 80s. In the 80s yeah. in the, with an arrow pointing at my face.
1: It really applies to almost everything about the 80s. Like, it wouldn't work now. Um, <laughs> and then my number one would be Quest for Fire.
2: <laughs> I love you, Kelly Wand.
1: Because I don't think he understands how civilization works. And I think if you just take a baby step... And go, look, let's let's take the presidency off the table for a minute, because that's a little advanced. Let's start with just basic things like basic concepts and symbols and like how we how we got to where you're now in charge of a nuclear arsenal. Let's start with the first words of that (laughs) book. And Here's how it started. And you see the old man who's carrying the torch and he keeps slipping in the water and knocking it out. Just think about that. <laughs> okay? So those are my three movies for Donald Trump. Being yeah. there, American Psycho, and Quest for Fire. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, think also I want
0: to what?
1: Well, I don't want him to be bored either. So these are three movies I
0: consider really watchable. Okay, sure. Um, actually, yeah, these are all... I haven't seen Quest for Fire in forever, but uh, I love being there in American Psycho, so yeah. yeah. So... Is Quest for Fire the one with Ray Don Chong?
1: Yeah, and Ron Perlman.
0: Ew, Ron Perlman is in it? <laughs> he doesn't have to wear makeup. Wow. I guess he, he does have that. the brow for it, sure. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Hmm. yeah I think like a rock or an egg falls on his head. <laughs> I get it mixed up with uh, Caveman sometimes, because they came out like the same year, and I'll <laughs> think of like, wait, the one where they play music so that's the Ringo Star one.
2: Okay. With I love <laughs> the idea of the casting director going, he's
0: got the brow for it.
1: Yeah, the Bach, not the Chong. Uh,
0: Dingus, that's a tough act to follow. What three movies are you going to make Donald Trump watch? You're
2: welcome, Donald. Well, I had a really hard time with this because of some of the things that Kelly wanted to saying. because I don't think teachable moments are available for him. Uh, he, he has actually literally said he thinks he's the smartest person in the world.
1: Right, he's you know, teaching us.
2: That he's really, he says he might be the most intelligent person or the cleverest person, I don't know, uh, in the entire world. I don't think he thinks he can be taught. And I think he's so He always slippery. says that
1: like he just thought of it while he's saying it. He's just all right. dumb, smart, is like actually no one that's smarter than me. I never thought of it like that.
2: Yeah, and he, he, was, says, he, he does, he does say it like it's a revelation, like it's just yeah. come to him. Think about and, it. And uh, when I was trying to think of movies that I would show him. Um, where I would be like, this is you in this movie. He'd be like, no, I'm I'm the hero. I'm that guy. And this is how you're wrong about this. So I think he would have to be bound and gagged for a lot of this list. Um, uh, but I would make sure he's staying awake. I'm not going to do like wrong. A, 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 propping his eyelids open kind of a thing. That would
0: be Well, hilarious. you are. Part of the deal is you are making him watch these. I yeah, mean, he right. will watch them. He's not going to be tweeting during it. This is something where he is watching the movie.
2: So. Right. And I will be watching them with him as much as I find that distasteful. I asked that last week. I think I have to sit there and watch it with him because I want to point certain things out to him.
1: Popcorn trick.
2: But I don't think he's going to learn anything. Uh, So I'm not necessarily worried about boring him. It's Kelly who's worried about boring him. Mm -hmm. Um, In fact, the first movie I'm going to show him is, is, is going to totally bore him and not be interesting to him at all. He's going to lose interest because I think he is a toddler. Um, but he's still going to have to watch the whole thing and that is the movie Titus um and the the quote from it that I would use <laughs> is uh Rome is but a wilderness of tigers and the reason for Titus is because you know you think it's going to be way over his head but I think it is the vegetables part of the course that I'm serving him because I'm I'm thinking this is kind of a meal so this is the this is the, this is vegetables this is important for him to understand classically uh also it's just an amazing freaking movie and anybody should see it but somebody like him is not going to have the attention span to watch titus um or have the patience to watch something that's so uh theatrical and probably something that he would consider to be um completely gay uh to use that term in the absolutely wrong way and the way i would not normally not use it but i'm sure that he would say that um but also because of making alliances that you think are going to work out for you, but are eventually going to bite you in the ass and kill you and kill your, you might kill your whole family or ruin your country. Uh, And I think Titus has as weird a a play as it is. I think it has some lessons for, for the way we uh, run our country and make our alliances. And I think he's doing dangerous things in that regard. And I know I said that, This can't be a teachable moment because he cannot learn, but I have to try because I've been a teacher. Uh,
0: My problem with Titus Dingus is I think uh, he could come away from Titus. Titus, to me, uh, Titus Andronicus, the Shakespeare play, I haven't seen the movie, uh, is partly about uh, law versus chaos, Rome versus the Goths, um, civilization versus barbarians. And I could see Donald Trump watching it and – Thinking that it justifies keeping the bad hombres out of our country, like right. that we are Rome and we de- we need to not traffic at all with the Goths, um, so that I mean I like I like where you're going, but I could see him getting the wrong lesson out of Titus. So and you would need to talk with him about it afterwards. And
2: that saying. was my problem with a lot of these because I think he can get that interpretation out of a lot of different things. I tried to—I right. I was trying to go at this from a lot of different angles, Tom, uh, and I kept trying to think of it from his point of view. Like, how is he going to interpret it so that it fits into his paradigm or fits into what he wants or in his view of the world? And there was always a way it's like you know, trying to figure out. I don't know if you've ever played the game Code Names. Well, look at all these words. What what uh, what code word can I come up with to get everybody on my team to guess the right words? Um, but what about the other what about the other words? What are they also going to be able to guess? I can always see a way that he would be able to pervert anything that I was trying, and that's exactly true. Uh, but I think that part of what that is 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 that. That trying to stem the tide of immigration is like trying to put your hands against, uh, you know, a river to to block it. It's impossible. But you know, that's not really what he's doing. He's 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 playing a shell game. But you're right about that. You're right about him interpreting that in his own way.
0: All right. Well, what's the so second? Yeah. I just want you to sit down with him afterwards and just talk with him about it. Though I'm just saying. All right. Yeah, so my my
2: second uh my second part of the meal's meat and the meat of this would be the movie dave um and i <laughs> i was i was reluctant about titus because there's violence in it and i didn't want to choose movies that had violence because i didn't want i didn't want to choose things that were like could be construed by a listener or anybody else as you know i'm suggesting that donald trump should be scared that we're going to uh suggest violence against him um and dave Uh, So Titus was a little weird for me because there's a lot of violence in that movie, obviously. Dave has none of that. But Dave – there's this great quote in Dave, um, and it's actually said by uh, a correspondent on a show that no longer exists called the McLaughlin Group, and her name is Eleanor. Eleanor Clift was her name. And the quote is, uh, uh, this is the definition of modern leadership. You set out a bold goal, and you don't say how you are going to get there. And this is from 1993 that she said this. You set out a bold goal, and you don't say how you're going to get there. And that is everything that he's ever done. But there are so many great things in the movie, Dave, that um, that I think because of the way the movie is presented, because of how great Kevin Kline is in it, is in it how oh, great I Waver is in it.
1: plays a spaceship movie.
2: <laughs> no, not that way.
1: And I was like, yeah, it's pretty violent. No,
2: no. Um,
1: was Banks hits him with her car, but okay. I'm sorry it's about
2: uh, this guy who does a lot of nefarious things, and then somebody else comes in who looks like him to
1: prisoner Zenda play out
2: the rest of his presidency. I am I just have such a I have such great feelings for this movie. Um, uh, it's also really funny, but really really touching, um, and also shows this. The main thing that I would try to steer him toward uh, is something that I think that would really stick in his craw. And that's that the White House chief of staff played by Frank Langella uh, is the real power behind him. And he, and when the president uh, goes into a a coma because he's had a stroke, um, Bob Mitchell says to Kevin Dunn, uh, you know, I'm the, I'm, I made him. I'm the power behind him and that to me is very much along that whole idea of Steve Bannon being the real one who's in charge and I think that must drive Donald Trump crazy and what I would like to do while sitting there and watching this movie every time Frank Langella shows up and shows himself to be the real power in the room and the real thing driving everything behind this presidency for this puppet that he's using uh, would be to point that out to him every time. Mm-hmm. You see that guy? He's the guy who's really in power. Does that remind you of anybody? Um, because I think that those little things, those little niggling things are the things that really bother him because he's such an egomaniac. So that's why I would choose Dave.
0: Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the problem I think you might enjoy that too much, Dave. Like, I think you might have a good time watching Dave. The thing is you might have just entertained Donald Trump for 90 minutes.
2: It's okay if I entertain him because I want him to have nightmares about it later when he starts <laughs> thinking about Frank Langella. Okay. Like in
1: Dreamscape, Eddie Albert's character, those
0: kind of dreams? <sighs> that's my number one. No, it's not. Is it? No. <laughs> <laughs> but that that's where you cool go out. into the president's dream and – yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> he wouldn't understand that movie.
0: No, no, but it, it – right. Dreamscape. But it, if it became a reality and we could do it to him, like go into his dreams and make him do things through those dreams. Or the if, Dreamscape, if Dreamscape was a documentary. Ah. Let's see. All right, Dingus, what is the, what is the, uh, the third movie you're going to make Donald Trump watch? All right, this is dessert.
2: This is the most obvious of my picks. I expected everybody to have this on their list. And this is – uh, or the quote from it would be, it's a weird feeling being smarter than everyone. I'm not used to it. And this is Idiocracy. from the movie Idiocracy. Oh. Exactly, Tom. Yeah, Idiocracy. Did
0: he get it? Um, Did he understand, would he understand that it's like a satire, or would he just think, yeah, that movie makes perfect sense? Um, I don't know that he would. I, I
2: thought it was of the a period piece. Well, one of the things that I was nervous about was thinking that he, sa- he would think, yeah, I saw this coming. That's why I decided to make myself become president, because I saw this coming, and I knew I could game the system and make it happen. But what I would want to point out is that you're not any of the people. You're not Camacho. You know, you're not the Terry Crews character. You're not anybody you think you are in this movie. You're the kid that's talking about water out of the toilet. That's who you are. That's who you are in this movie. You're that kid talking about water coming out of the toilet.
0: Dang What if he thinks he's Luke Wilson though, and like everybody else around him is too dumb to understand him?
2: That's what he's going to think. He's going to think he's the smartest person in the world because he already thinks that. Right, but that's why I'm going to just point out to him: you're either the kid who thinks uh, that who says that about the water out of the toilet, or you're the Secretary of Education. Well done on that. Who can't string a sentence together and points a shotgun at his own head?
1: I so, gotta buy bronze
2: stock. Th- these are the people you are, and this is the future of America. I know you don't care about the future of America because you're just trying to get rich. But this is a movie that came out in. 2006 that saw foresaw you coming along and this is not a compliment you understand that this is not a compliment now again he i think he has an inability to hear that um but he
0: maybe understands insults i don't know you guys have made him watch some good movies i'm gonna fix that oh good my – the, the order of these doesn't matter so much, but one of the movies I'm going to make him watch is called Logistics. It's a Swedish movie that follows the manufacturing of a pedometer. Uh, and it begins with, you know, where actually it actually goes in reverse. It goes in reverse from where it's sold in an end cap display all the way back to its transportation and to where it was originally manufactured. Uh, the other movie, and I'm going to explain these in a minute, the other movie I would make him watch is called Modern Times Forever. It's a Danish movie, uh, and it's about how the corporate headquarters building of a, of a paper manufacturer would fall apart over hundreds of years, just how the building would crumble. And then the third movie I would have him watch is called A Cinematon. It's a French movie that consists of three-minute and 25-second vignettes of people just doing whatever they want. Uh, There's some celebrities in this movie. There's one guy just smoking a cigar. There's a little baby in it. Uh, And this was put together over the course of 28 years. It came out in 2006. These are the three movies I'm going to make him watch. And I'm going to make him watch these because... What was the second movie again? uh, Modern Times Forever. It's It's a Danish movie about the the corporate headquarters uh, falling apart over the course of centuries. Uh, The reason I'm going to make him watch these movies is because I do think the guy is beyond any sort of redemption. He is beyond any sort of teachable moments. I don't think... Uh, A guy that old can change at all. He is lost. The only opportunity is for us to override him or to stop him from doing terrible things. We can't fix him. He is broken. Um, So what I am going to do is show him these three movies because the best I can do is have him watch these movies instead of doing other things. Because these movies have a total running time of about 45 days. Logistics—the thing that follows the manufacture of a pedometer—that is in real time. It is a thirty-five-day-long movie. Mm. Modern Times Forever compresses these hundreds of years for how the building would fall apart into ten days, ten real-time days. That's how long it takes to watch Modern Times Forever. Cinematon, on the other hand,
2: wait, hold mm on—is Modern Times Forever riffing on the title Modern
0: Times? Um, I do not know. It might be. I mean, I kind of doubt it because it's probably something else in Danish. Uh, oh, I'm not okay. sure. Right. Yeah. Never, never mind. Now, the really brief one, Cinematon with the three-minute, 25-second second vi- second vignettes, uh, there are 3,000 of these vignettes. So the running time for Cinematon is eight days. So all I can do is take Donald Trump out of circulation where he can't do anything else for, what is that, 45, 53 days. Occupy him watching these movies. He won't be able to tweet. He won't be able to try to do any, sign any executive orders. He won't be able to hold any press conferences. He won't be able to tell anybody to do anything. I have tied him down for 53 days. And these are the three longest movies in the world. I actually just looked this up. I was thinking, like, show up, you know, nine and a half hours. Uh, I was thinking Shoah 2 for other reasons, but well, it's not a movie. Right, right. Uh, there's a, sure thing. A, a Chinese dissident named, named I'm going to screw this up, Ai Weiwei. <laughs> it's terrible. But uh, he did a movie called Beijing 2003, which is 150 hours. So I was thinking, oh, those are going to be super long. But nope, there's an 8-day movie, a 10-day movie, and a 35-day movie. And in a way, they're not really movies. They're more performance art pieces. But... Two of them are listed on IMDb, so they are official in that regard. Uh, so there you go. I've just I've just kept him out of everybody else's hair for 53 days, and we've only got – what is that? Uh, that? That's that many fewer months of the four years he has in office that we have to deal with him. Uh, All right. Let me now see what the listeners have come up with. Paul Weimer says three movies for Donald Trump. I just can't make a pun out of that. But I've got an executive order of a movie triptych list for him. Uh, Paul Weimer says, I watched El Norte for a film class years ago. It's a story of two Guatemalan refugees struggling to reach the United States and the struggles of being an undocumented immigrant in America. It moved me. Perhaps it might move Donald Trump now. Paul, I like your optimism. Uh, Number two. While the series that spawned from it was arguably better, the, oh geez, the story of alien refugees on Earth trying to get along in California in alienation is something oh. perhaps Donald Trump might learn something from.
1: Um. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's one where they drink spoiled milk to
0: get. Yeah, where they love that. Yeah. Drunk.
2: All
0: right. Okay. Uh, and then Paul Weimer's number one pick. Rich people living on a space station and being miserly and cruel to the people on the crapsack remnants of the poor on Earth. Maybe if I could get Trump to watch Elysium with all of its mm-hmm. flaws, he might buy a clue. Maybe, Paul Weamer suggests, worth oh. a shot.
1: Yeah.
0: It'll be, it'll be, it'll be hard-pressed to get him to watch these, I would think. But that's what this three x three is all about. You can you have it in your power. Yeah, that's true. That's Fred point. Bo says I broke the three by three. He says as I was contemplating which three films I'd watch Mr. Trump to watch, titles like Good Night and Good Luck or Margin Call or Doctor Strange Love, movies that were would perhaps teach him something important. Fred Bo says I have come to the sad conclusion that it wouldn't matter. I doubt these or any movies for that matter would make an intellectual dent in his head. So, whether it be Paths of Glory or Beavis and Butthead do America, it would make no difference. Fred he Bo, has you can, access
1: to many things that he doesn't take advantage of.
0: Uh, he watched Finding Dory. That was something he screened in the White House. Fredbo, you can borrow my list if you want. That will be another 53 hour, or uh, fifty-three days we take them out of circulation. Arthur Jelly says, I was going to write some cheesy Trump joke, but then I just got sad. Number three, the director's cut of Watchmen. Lots of stuff in this movie about how dangerous and unhinged a president can be and how the Cold War was a rough time in which to live. Maybe he'd understand these things, but probably not. It has the uh, in it the message – wait, what? If the, message get lo- oh, if the message gets lost, at least this movie is over three hours, and America has been given three blissful hours during which Trump can't mess anything up. I thought this was about a squid. <laughs> uh, number two, Cloud Atlas. Some more hours. Here. <laughs> well, Arthur says, before Tom and Kelly boo me, I would again like to point out that the previously mentioned three-hour benefit also applies here. Arthur, you're thinking too small. I'm telling you. Logistics, Mm -hmm. uh, was Modern Times, Forever, and Cinematon. Um, With that out of the way, Arthur says, Cloud Atlas has a lot of gender swapping, race swapping, and general disregard for what actors play what roles. The book describes an atlas of clouds with regard to human souls. Like clouds, people are temporary, but the parts that make them up break apart and reform in different places, keeping traces of their previous forms. This is what the casting in the movie shows, and maybe this helps him see how meaningless the various labels he and his supporters apply truly are, and how they do more harm than good. And then, this is where I thought Paul Weimer should have gone uh, instead of alienation. Uh, Arthur says, District District 9, a movie about the dangers of state-sponsored xenophobia and fear of the other that even Trump might be able to understand.
1: Who are all these freaky South Africans?
0: Oh, I like what Ian Slutz has done. Ian Sletz says, uh, this Trump likes the Russia, so let us give him the Russia, but not the Russia of the Russian bikini girl doing stunts on her motorcycle. By the way, I was not aware of this. Do you guys know about a Russian bikini girl doing stunts on her motorcycle?
1: Wait, we're not giving him that?
0: No, no, we're not. I mean, that, right, we're not. But I didn't know this is a thing. I, I, if this is a thing, I need to investigate it. Yeah, me too. That's a meme? I don't know. Let's find out. But Ian says, I would like to give him the other Russia. I would like to give him so much of the other Russia that he would be sick of the Russia. I love some of these picks. Uh, Yeah, these are great. Ian's number – well, Ian just lists three. Leviathan, which is a really cool movie. Uh, Let's get things started with corruption near the Arctic Circle. I haven't seen this movie yet, Ian says. Ian, why not? It's, a, it's really a great – Leviathan is basically – it should be Leviathan, colon, why it would suck to live in Russia. Like the mm. Leviathan, it's amazing that it was made in Russia, is all about kleptocracy, and I can think of no better movie for Trump to watch. Uh, but Ian says, um, I haven't seen the movie yet, but it's on my list of films to see, and it seems so topical. I hope the point wouldn't be lost on Trump. Soccer <laughs> a 1979 movie. The next two hours and 40 minutes will be spent watching three men meander through a post-industrial wasteland trying to find a a room that will grant their wishes. I can relate. When I first saw this movie, I couldn't figure out why I didn't hate it. Three days later, I was turning it over in my mind when the genius of the film hit me at full force. So it takes three days, man. Uh, However, Ian says, I suspect Trump's lack of reflection will make this a fairly miserable experience for him. So either you seen that movie? My friend Bruce Garrick insists, keeps insisting I should see it. Soccer? Yeah. The Tarkovsky thing. The black and white. I have
2: the book.
1: I'm supposed to read it. Something. Another, Road that roadside, roadside
0: picnic. picnic? Yeah. yeah it yeah. sounds like a Tom Robbins novel. Well, that's another roadside attraction, but yeah. yeah. Oh.
1: Um, no, but
0: I thought Red Dawn would be. That was in the Russian one I was thinking of. Oh, well, let's find out because Ian has one more. It's nope. Scary. Ian chose Hard to Be a God. I tried to watch this one. <clears throat> if the last five hours have come across as vaguely insulting and inscrutable in turn, then I think the next three hours, Ian says, should be a combo of both. This movie is about a thuggish and resentful man of low cunning coming to power by attacking what is best in society. However, that is almost impossible to glean from the film. Instead, the viewer will be assaulted by a world of filth. Snot, manure, and leering grotesques. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's uh, hard to be a god is hard to watch. I'll watch this one. Uh, I, like the, I like the word, the, the term low cunning. Yeah, that definitely applies to certain. I always people. love
1: grotesque as a noun.
0: Uh, Kelly, one, you should try to watch Hard to Be a God. It's black and white and in Russian. You I'm didn't get you. through it. I did not. No. Uh, and then Ian says, once this festival of Russian cinema is complete, I don't think he will be able to look at Putin the same way ever again. I thought about making him watch Russian Ark, which is this two-hour, like, one-shot take through the Hermitage, which is a, a Russian museum in St. Petersburg. Um, it's kind of an artsy movie. Finally, Chris Marketson. Hopefully these picks won't disqualify me from entering the U.S., Marketson says, because he's in Canada. Number three, <laughs> Miracle. A movie about the 1980 Winter Olympics hockey game between the U.S. and the Soviets. Uh, the U.S. wins. Yeah. Maybe this come will remind behind. him. Yeah, this will <laughs> remind him whose side he should be on, Chris mm-hmm.
2: says. Chris, we haven't seen that. That's a spoiler, Chris. come on.
0: It, it's a sports movie. We're not going to watch that. Kelly Wan, oh, you saw good. that? Yeah, Kurt Russell. A you sports get shit movie? Right. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: Hockey? Hockey's the... Hey, come on, oh.
0: Goon's a sports movie. Mm, not really. Just about uh, a hockey player. It's about a hockey player and a guy who draws wolves. What about Rocky IV?
1: That's got Russian in it.
2: Which one is that?
1: That's when we fight the
2: Russian. No, <laughs> I thought I really
1: sort of gave away which one it was. My
2: name is Ivan Drago. I fight all yes. my life and never lose.
1: also the with the robot besides Bridget Nielsen.
0: <laughs> Chris's number two pick, Schindler's List. It's three hours long. Jews are saved. Nazis lose. Trump is going to hate it. It'll be awesome. Black and white. And number one, interesting, under the skin. There's uh, no way he's going to understand what is happening in this movie. Hopefully he gets so frustrated he has an aneurysm.
1: Still interested.
2: Do <laughs> you guys remember the name of the wolf in uh, Goon? Oh, shoot. Uh,
0: Wolfie. Oh, shoot. What was its name? I think it was Loopy.
1: Yeah, Loopy. Oh,
0: I like that. I like that
2: yeah But I'm not sure. All right.
0: No, that sounds right. Sounds uh, right runners up, anything else you guys think he should... Watch? If I if I thought he could, even though I mentioned this before, if I thought he could benefit from teachable moments, I would love for him to see Loving as a look at, hey, this is what the Supreme Court is supposed to do, you fascist, loofah-faced shit-gibbon. Like, Loving yeah. is... Uh, I, but he wouldn't understand that.
2: Uh, Mine are more about punishment than about teaching. Yeah. Uh, but I would... Hope that the punishment might teach him something. Um, the only the way I was going early on was things that might be able to help engender a sense of empathy or an understanding of other people. So I I considered movies like Towelhead at first, and then I realized he'd probably just be titillated by things that I thought were disgusting in the movie. Yeah. So I I dropped that from my list. Yeah, even the what? title. Yeah, exactly.
0: Ah, it's
1: on my head. Uh alright like.
0: well Kelly Wand what do you have for next week's 3x3 maybe it'll be less well, political
1: vaguely mm-hmm. in honor of Valentine's Day uh 3 Best Dungeons <laughs> if you'd like to participate in the 3 Best Dungeons contest send your picks, or we'll talk about the movie that we're seeing next week is that too early to mention that so no, you send, we'll be, well,
0: no. go ahead. Tell them what we're seeing.
1: We're seeing John Wick 2, chapter
0: 2. John Wick, chapter
1: 2. It's a book, right? John Wick chapter two. I think no, it's, I chapter it's based on an autobiography. Okay. Right. Um, so, yeah, if you want to talk about John Wick with us, or your best dungeons and movies, three of them, <laughs> send those separately. 2-3-X-3-at-quarter-to-3.com, and I'll misread them on the air, in quotes.
0: <laughs> uh, also, just to let you know, on March 5th, we will be drawing for our Make Us Watch wow. Whatever You Want 2017 raffle. Yeah, So uh, we'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks, but uh, that gives us about three weeks to talk about that. Basically, what it's going to be is if you donate a dollar... You get one vote, and we're going to do a drawing on March 5th uh, as for what movie we will be covering on March 12th. Um, So you can make us watch whatever you want uh, by just sending in $1 for a vote. Uh, We'll tell you more about that in the coming weeks, though, but just a heads up, uh, clear your calendar for that. Uh, Join us for John Wick 2 next week and a 3x3 about Dungeons Yeah, let's do that. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Markowski. It's Christian Morosky. And Kelly Wand. That's some real dick magic
1: right there.
2: dick magic it's not real it's pure dick magic Kelly, come
0: on i swore an oath to keep it secret this lie has kept apocalypse at bay for hundreds of years we were afraid if the queen's heart was destroyed you'd lose your immortality or die that
1: wasn't your choice to make that wasn't your choice to make Two all-beef patties, sesame seed bun, three French (laughs) hens...